Welcome to the Better Together podcast, brought to you by the Emergency Services Foundation. This is a podcast dedicated to supporting and improving the mental health and well-being of the many people, paid and volunteer, who serve our community in emergency management roles. My name is Susan McKenzie, CEO at the Emergency Services Foundation. Today we're speaking about Tony's trek, which was an incredible solo walk of 1,500 kilometres undertaken by ESF's chair, Tony Pierce, over 50 days from March to May this year, 2023. I'm joined by Tony, but also a few people we met along the way. So we've got Shane Peach, unit controller with the OMEO SES. We've got Paul King, regional commander with CFA in the Northeast. And we've got Erica Lind, who is both a CFA volunteer and a senior forest fire management officer with DECA. Along with my dog, Elby, I was on the trek for most of the time looking after the logistics. Tony did this incredible trek for three reasons. One was to raise awareness of the terrible mental toll work in the emergency services can have, and he specifically walked through areas affected by the 2019-20 fires. So that's the east of the state and, and the northeast. He also did it to raise awareness of how ESF is trying to get ahead of such harm and to raise funds for two new early intervention programs ESF wants to implement. One is a lived experience program, and one is a residential wellbeing program pilot. And you can read more about those on the ESF website. Both of those programs are based on our evidence of what the sector needs. And this discussion is not so much about those two programs, but about how the trek unfolded and what happened on the ground. So, Tony, welcome. Hey, g'day, Susan. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good. Um, clearly, this was also a personal challenge for you, and it's no injuries that you sustained some injuries, and you have one now. Was it worth it? Oh, look, I think it absolutely was. Um, as I said to you before and others, you know, after 50 days of walking and the pain of stress fractures and lost toenails, um, the physical and mental exhaustion part of it, you know, that all progressively dissipates for me and it finishes, but... For those people suffering suffering mental injury, as I said, you know, after 50 days, they're still going to be feeling bad. They're still going to be crook. So I think um, the, the slight discomfort that I suffered, if you like, is really is really pales into insignificance when you think about how other people are affected by their condition. Um, the other thing about it is that the trek really provided an opportunity for people to come together and speak about mental health in our sector. And they seized the opportunity, as you know, you saw how people were and how engaged they were with us. And the other thing that provided a really rare opportunity, um, as we know, for families to come together. So much of the after hours events that we did, if you like, were, were attended by families. And it was really intriguing to listen to those families and have them tell their story about how it impacts them when there's a mental health issue in, the, in with their emergency worker, if you like. And providing that rare opportunity was just so greatly appreciated. So I, absolutely, it was worth it. Well, you know, along the way, you met more than 140 people as walkers. And often it was just the two of you head down on some quiet country road walking along or on a rail trail somewhere. 
Tell us about those conversations. What did you hear and learn along the way? Um, look, I think the first thing, first thing that really surprised me was um, how how really um, keen individuals were to actually speak about their own circumstance. I mean, I didn't, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a counsellor, I'm not a psychologist, so I wasn't out there probing people or trying to lure them into a discussion about their mental health. But that's where that's where so many of them actually ended up get, getting to on their own. So they initiated those discussions themselves, which was really quite incredible. And I think what you know from from what we were doing, it said to me that if you create if you create a space, a safe space for people, it's almost like we were walking in a bubble. You could have trucks going past at 100 kilometres an hour, but two of you walking side by side on the side of the road, just talking about a circumstance, you become envel enveloped, if you like, in in what you're talking about, and that's what those people were doing. So. So that was that was something that was really quite quite intriguing, if you like. Um, the safe space thing, I think, is really is really um, really important. I've got no doubt that what that what that experience said to me was that if we do create safe spaces, people will talk. They want to talk. They want to feel like they're in a place where they can do that without any threat or otherwise. And and clearly that provided that opportunity for some people on the road. So that was that was terrific. And then there were three reasons that came out of those discussions, which I summarised, if you like, into three reasons as to why people won't actually come forward and seek assistance. The first one relates to both staff, paid staff and volunteers. There's a fear of being seen as weak and not in control of yourself. And, and if you might remember when we were doing our little video snips along the, along the journey, one of the peers from CFA said, you know, within that organisation still, this is a taboo subject, not because the organisation says it is, but people just don't want to talk about it. So, so that was that was applied to both paid and volunteers. For paid staff who I talk to, there's a fear of what impact seeking assistance actually has on their careers. You know, someone who's a police officer said to me, you know, if I go in and say, look, I'm feeling I'm feeling crooked, I don't think things are right. He said, how long do you think I'm going to have a gun on my hip, and how long do you think I'm going to be out on the road doing the job? So that that worries paid staff. And then finally, for volunteers, the question arose, and this one really surprised me, and I thought it was the saddest one of a lot of them, was um, even though some of the volunteers knew that they needed help and they knew that they needed to seek assistance, they weren't willing to do it, not only because of the stigma or otherwise, but they were so fearful of the fact that there was nobody else in the community to step up and take their place. So rather than look after themselves, they were still focusing on what happens to the community if I'm not there. Yeah, that's incredible. We saw that on a number of occasions, didn't we? We did. So just, you know, without naming names, what's a story that somebody told you that really struck you? Oh, gosh, look, there were, there were, there were so many. There were so many. Um, we had, um, for example, we had, um, I won't even talk about the, about the organisation, but an organisation that is in a, an extremely busy location in the state and attends very regularly, very traumatic work. Um, and Annie has a very small number of volunteers in their area that can actually respond to these events. Therefore, it's the same very small group that are continually um, responding day in and day out. And as I said, the number of events that they are covering throughout the year is, is staggering. And there are so many of them are really significantly traumatic. The person that leads that particular org that part of the organisation was saying, you know, he needs to step down. He's been needing to step down for the last few years, but he said he can't step down because there is no one there to take his place and there's no one there even to fill another spot, if you like, just to give them the minimum numbers that they need to do it so they will just keep on going. So that was one example. And then, of course, there were many examples of personal experiences, which obviously I won't go into, but, um, but yeah. from and, and one other thing that was really quite interesting, if I could, was... 
um, people's mental health issues are not all necessarily just related to their role as an emergency services worker or a volunteer. Um, many of them said, you know, just life itself can be hard. But if you're dealing with life itself, as most community members are, and then you add to that the impacts of emergency service work as well, that's where things can start to get really difficult for them. So it's a, com it's a combination, if you like, of just normal life as it is in, in this day and age, then compounded by the work that people are doing as emergency workers and paid and volunteer. That's interesting, Tony, because we've just done, um, as you know, a piece of research with people on the ground um, for the residential wellbeing program. And that's pretty much what that sort of random group of people mm. as well. Yeah. yeah. So what about the events in the evening? I mean, we had an event pretty well every night for 50 days when you met with so many different people in towns who hosted you on the route. You know, you mentioned families before and ESF is really getting involved in working with families. What did you actually learn from speaking with them? Uh, what we, what I learned, and I, and I know you and others did too, it wasn't only me that people spoke to, they spoke to all of us that were there. And again, it was almost like um, in nearly every situation, it was almost like there's a window of opportunity being created that people could see in front of them to actually talk about them and their family unit circumstance, if you like, and the impacts of mental health issues on, you know, on emergency workers in their family and how that then, how that then sort of compounds into the family environment. And they seized that opportunity really quickly and spoke to all of us uh, individually and some in groups as well in that context. Um, they most often don't know what to do. That was that was something that really was quite surprising, not surprising to me, but it was it was quite um, it was sad to hear that they said, you know, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to approach the issue either with the individual themselves or through the organisation. And they don't know where to seek help and assistance. And, and that can be distressing for them. And as, as someone said to me, you know, I've watched my partner over years change. The person, the person I'm now married to versus the person I married, they are two different people. And as much as I still love them and as much as they still have a, 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 um, a solid family unit, the individual has changed. That was what that was how that woman described her relationship with her husband. Um, Nearly all of our after-hours functions were, were multi-agency, which was really, uh, which was really fantastic, and, and they all did include family members. Um, and nearly all, in nearly all cases, actually allowed them all to realise how much, how much they don't know about each other as organisations and as community members who are parts of different organisations within within those communities. And just creating the opportunity for them to come together that was in that circumstance there was just uh, was just magnificent for them. And you would remember well, Chilton Fire Brigade was a great example. The uh, the captain out there spoke to us later, and he's, he's he's on our video doing the little interview there. But he was saying, you know, that night was something that they didn't want to lose the the gains that they got from just having one barbecue with us and all the agencies and the families there. And they sat down that very night um, before they'd all packed up and cleaned everything up, and they undertook between themselves to host something like that every quarter to come together with a different agency, doing it with the families, simply to talk about them and their environment and things that are happening to them, not to talk about jobs, not to talk about the organisation, but to talk about them. And I think that was just fantastic. Yeah, we got some very unexpected outcomes, didn't we, that were amazing. And everything that you've said there is so valuable for ESF in terms of the work that we're doing with prevention and early intervention and with mm. families more and more with families. It's so valuable. Um, Paul, you drove the safety escort vehicle for a week from Hotham to Wodonga. 
Why did you offer to do that while you're on leave, apart from the fact that you were with me, of course? Other than that, Susan, that's probably uh, one of the big reasons. What a monumental undertaking that uh, you and Tony in putting such a um, elaborate and uh, detailed program together. It was just um, magnificent. Anyone that knows me knows I'm a proud Northeaster. Uh, this thing that was coming through my area um, was something I wanted to be involved in. I'd recently had a knee operation, so I wasn't able to walk, and it's something that I would have done had uh, should I been uh, had I been able to. Uh, but because I had that knee operation, uh, I saw the opportunity to uh, have the dream ride in the uh, in the funky buggy, uh, the ambulance. And I have to say, I jagged the weather. Um, it was I joined you all the day that it snowed. Um, so uh, tucked up at Mount St Bernard for the night. In the morning, it was uh, beautiful sunshine for the uh, rest of the week. So um, while we're going through the Ovens Valley, um, all I had to do was drive three or four k's ahead because you were all on. Uh, rail trails, set myself up with my chair and my book and give you a Vicky and a drink when you turned up around the corner. And um, so uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and didn't, what we, I was... didn't we love your Bickies and drinks that, that your <laughs> mum made for us? Yeah. Um, what, what it also, I, that was a, a bit of a side benefit of that is uh, because I was sitting there in such a high profile vehicle, people were, and that's such a busy uh, valley um, and that rail trail is just magnificent. Um, what uh, it meant people stopped to see what I was up to because I was sort of parked um, in a pretty prominent spot. Um, and I was able to talk to so many members of the community about um, Tony's trek and, and the scourge of uh, mental illness. Illness it affects a lot of my uh, friends and colleagues. So um, that was a side benefit that I saw that I was just able to uh, speak to so many people who perhaps didn't understand, um, especially the... the um, the impact um, on volunteers. It's not something they do um, to earn a living. It's something that they do in their spare time. It's such a noble gesture that they do it, but it, it certainly has some really detrimental side effects from time to time. So that was just a, uh, a side benefit that I saw. Oh, yeah, you were fantastic. So what did you take away from the experience personally, Paul? Um, I've worked in this neck of the woods for a long time, so I actually knew a lot of the people that um, were walking, um, but it just underlined to me what a broad church uh, that the emergency services are. So whether it's staff, volunteer, whether it's SES, um, whether it's uh, CFA, we had the, um, the young people from the Alpine, um, the Alpine Shire, we're just such a broad um, sector of the um, organisation. One of the outstanding things that I saw was the, the uh, day at um, Forest Fire Management uh, ovens. Um, thank goodness it wasn't a barbecue, according to um, Tony. We had um, Mexican, but so many of those young people there that, who are seasonal workers who haven't been in the organisation long uh, just saw the, um, uh, I suppose, the uh, the breadth of the emergency services sector. And I knew a lot of those young people there, whether I'd seen them at um, emergencies, but I know a lot of them from having played uh, sport with my kids from playing and things like that. So has my sound just changed? I'm sorry. No, it's okay. You're okay. It has, but you're okay. Yeah. Um, so they're people who haven't come from the from the hour. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. So I was just a bit of sound trouble. Um, so I just thought that was an outstanding event and so much effort put in and um and uh Forest Fire Management Victoria should be congratulated for the leadership that they showed in the Ovens Valley to put that magnificent event on. But the people who walked with us, young, old, 
experienced new members, partners, community members. There's just so many uh, different cohorts of people that um, joined us. The the partners of members from the Harrodville Fire Brigade that joined us for um, 20 um, odd k's, just outstanding people who now are part of the the great achievement that uh, Tony and yourself have put together. So. You you said before that you knew many of the people in the brigades along that route, um, which you obviously did. What did you, reflecting back, what did you think the trek achieved for those people in those brigades? You know, we've I, gone now, we've left Bright, we've left Harrietville. What did it achieve for them, do you think? So those communities, the, the Disneyland of emergencies, I think Tony referred to them as um, in the northeast. Um They've, they've just suffered emergency after emergency. And, and perhaps if those um, individual peoples or pe people from those families didn't suffer from um, from mental illness as a result of those emergencies, um, they now know um, what a scourge it is. Um, they now know that there are other people in the community who are potentially hurting from those, uh, that, those attendants at those emergencies. One of the things that, they don't have to be critical incidents, but what we had in the 1920 fires, what we had in 2003, what we had in 2006 and seven, was fire on the doorstep just day after day after day. And, and the anticipation of when it might come, when it might come in the um, middle of the night, uh, the effect of the smoke, you know, Shane would have seen it through um, so many of those big emergencies that unfortunately, Shane, we send through uh, to you from um, Northeast. We try not to, mate, but um, off they go often. Um, so it's not just that critical incident, but that, um, length of exposure to uh, that uncertainty is is just a big thing in the community. So um, I just think it achieved that people understand it is so, that we're such a broad organisation, a broad sector, and that they, um, and that emergencies affect people different ways. It was interesting when we were in Bright, we did a focus group with some young people about um, kids of emergency service workers. And each one of them talked about how profoundly they'd been affected by the smoke and living with the smoke for weeks and weeks and weeks and how that affected them. And I had a group of American students with me at the time and they were just blown away. They couldn't, they couldn't believe it. Yeah. It, it was like it was like living in soup when mm -hmm. when those real thick um smoky days. And as I said, we had in 2003, we had in six, 2006 and seven, we've had it. Uh, again, they're just like living in soup. And it affected people different ways, affected little kids, affected um, the wine growers. We're such a big wine region um, up here, and it just it just kills that entire vintage for that um, year. So it just affects so many parts of the um, community, as well as the critical incidents that um, a number of you have spoken about. Yeah. So when Tony spoke in the evenings, you heard him speak about the two programs that ESF is raising funds for, the, the um, lived experience program and the residential wellbeing pilot. How did you see people on the ground respond to that when he spoke about those things? I've got some very close friends of mine, fire service colleagues who are very ill from the 2019-20 fires. So to be able to hear um, and they, they they would say that there's really good support um, and treatments for them, but to hear that there's programs available so people can understand the importance of their mental health before they get ill, um, I think was probably the outstanding feature for me that people were talking about. You know, they 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 love the idea that there's preventative um, aspects that they can. Um, there's people looking out for them 
beforehand. I call it the bottom of the, the top of the cliff solution. Um, when they get really ill, it's a bottom of the cliff solution, the ambulance and the and hospitalization and um, sort of more emphatic treatments, but the top of the cliff solution of people understanding that they're having a very normal reaction to a very abnormal event, um, I think is just such an important message. That was um, something that I went away from the trek with is that I really felt that people were grateful that, you know, people from the city were coming up and actually cared about them. That that was something that I took away. Thanks, Paula. I'm going to go to you, Erica. You walked up the tough stretch from Bruthen to Tambo Crossing. How was that in terms of a personal challenge for you? I have to admit, I was a bit nervous the night before, wondering whether I'd be able to keep pace with Tony. Um, who was a machine. Yeah, <laughs> and had had a bit of a warm-up before I'd started, but uh, that was that nervousness was quickly abated, I think. I was thinking about this um, in the context of it being really good symbol of, of mental health in terms of if you did that on your own, I think it would be a big slog. Um, by doing it with someone that you can talk with and, and talk about the problems of the world or the, the nothings of, of the insignificance and, and what we see on the side of the road. Um, and then breaking that walk down into each bend that we had to get around. So we had some pre pretty tricky corners, blind spots, um, and we really negotiated each corner and broke that walk down. So, um, you know, 34Ks on, on paper seem pretty daunting but when when you actually broke it down and worked as a team with yourself Susan and, and me and Tony we got ourselves around all those bends it actually wasn't that bad getting to Tambo Crossing certainly saw the next morning but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a really really awesome experience we were all a bit wary of that trek up the mountain there but it it, it worked out very well apart from the hoon who held the coke can or beer can or whatever but fortunately he missed so along the way, Tony stopped at various Dika depots and, and Paul mentioned the one at Ovens and he caught up with big groups of people over some wonderful catering, I must say. What do you think the trek meant to your colleagues in Dika? You know, they came together in really large groups. I think it created a sense of excitement and, and anticipation as well. I think similar to the northeast east Gippsland um, is pretty remote and to have someone come all the way out and acknowledge um, the area and spend time uh, it it created a moment to recalibrate I think from the daily business as usual um, getting stuff done to stop pause be grateful for our colleagues and reflect on the importance of mental health um, it provided managers and supervisors to tag on and, and talk about services within the organisation. Um, but it also reminded us that we're part of a bigger picture as well. So it's not just agency specific. And it's so different to anything else that we were doing in-house. So that freshness um, and that new energy was just just what we needed, I think, as you come into the depths of winter. Yeah, well, that was good because we know that Deca people were so exhausted and have been so exhausted still. So it was nice to see everybody so upbeat. But why were you personally so supportive of the trek? What made you so invested? Um, I think 
I think for me, mental health's been a really big growth um, moment for me as a young person in the emergency services who's grown up in, in the fire brigade and then joined FFM Vic for most of my 20s. I spent um, on a lot of big campaign fires and then as I got to 30, I was feeling the effects of um, um, mental health injury and that was really shocking. I was more worried about the fact that uh, I'd sprain an ankle or do a physical injury and not pass a medical, not the fact that I would potentially have a, a mental in injury. So um, it it has become a really core passion in terms of education and prevention and trying to almost protect the next generation coming through to to um, build awareness and start sharing stories and um, particularly in regional and remote um, Victoria where services aren't as, as plentiful, I guess, um, just really putting that in the forefront. Um, I, I wanted to share that message as much as possible. And I did notice um, a lot of my colleagues were talking about it when, when I was speaking with them, not only in the in East Gippsland, but um, in the west of the state as well. So, yeah, I think it's it's doing something physical. It's an action. It's actually getting out and walking the road and and showing that you you really want to see a change. And that's and that's what training provided was that opportunity to say we need to change. <laughs> we need to get better at this. And you were there at the launch when we launched this down in Lakes Entrance a long time ago. And then you were there at the end at the celebratory <laughs> lunch, you know, up on the stage speaking. So what's something that you've taken away from seeing the trek unfold and conclude, you know, through all the planning stage and then come to that conclusion at the lunch? You know, that room at the end there was full of people that I had a connection with and a lot of that was through the trek or the emergency services. And once again, it provided an environment where I could talk with colleagues, um, not on a frontline and emergency, it was in reflection of really positive work. I think that first ESF program right at the beginning was leading for better mental health. And that was a, that was a mental shift of saying, well, we lead for mental health first and then the work gets done because we are leading in that environment. So um, that, that flavors just carried the whole way through, and to to be in that room was all it was quite emotional. I will a bit um, sitting at the Great Alpine Road table. Um, it just I know a few of us said like it's so good to be back together again, and and reminded us how important it is to maintain those those networks. So for me, Tony's Trek was a reason to keep coming back and reflecting on this, and now it's on me to <laughs> to keep the momentum going. But um, I just think it's an incredible. Thing that's been created an amazing safe space that we've all been able to benefit from okay thanks erica shane oh let's try and see if the um the it connection up to omeo is is working now so as i said tony came to your neck of the woods in omeo and i did a recce up there a few months beforehand and it must have sounded quite fantastic when I was telling you what we had planned. What did you think when it all unfolded? Yeah, it was totally bigger than what I thought it was going to be. You know, obviously, you know, just after, you know, before you came up, you, know, you got the blurb and oh, yeah, sounded, then once you told us what it was all about, we were sitting there going, wow, how can we make sure that we are part of this? So 
Um, being a small you know, country town, we don't get many visitors you know, up here. So we thought, yeah, great, someone's coming through here. So it'd be a great opportunity for us. And, and yeah, so I did everything in my power to make sure that we were able to participate and help as much as we could. And, and what about, you know, I have a vision of you all walking into town, into Omeo, to the bells at the Omeo fire station. Um, how did it feel when, when that actually happened? Yeah, it was very emotional, actually. Now you're sitting here, the fact that we were all walking down the, down, down the street, see the station, and you, we hear the bells ringing, and you sit there and you think, wow, look at that, and you just look around, and now you're seeing everyone from, from all the services there all walking together. And united as one, and yeah, it was a really great feeling. Oh, that's that's good. And what do you think the trek did for local people? So you're in the SES, but as you said, it was a range of services up there in Omeo. What do you think the trek did for local people? I think it made them a, a, a bit more aware of us because I know ever since it's been on, everyone's kind of asking what it was all about, and that, and I said just making sure that we're we're looking after ourselves because mental health is a a major part of, you know, affects a lot of what we do. And, yeah, so we're now kind of also making sure that we're, we're looking after ourselves as well as looking after each other. So, you know, because all the services up here are very small, so we have to be there for each other. And what do you think, do you think the trek will have any lasting impact locally? Um, I think people will probably ask us more about, how we're going, especially after when it's been something big or, or they know that we've been doing something. I'm sure more people now um, will ask, yeah, because especially if we've had a, a few things on lately and the, the people have come up to us, oh, were you that here? Hey, are you guys are okay? And yeah, so, which is, yeah, good to know, you know, for, for a town of 400 people, you know, just a, a few people to ask the question, yeah, it makes you feel a, a little bit more uh, appreciated. Oh, that, that's terrific. And, and ESF is coming back up to Omeo soon to run a Mental Health Matters for people. So that's fantastic too. So that's a, another great outcome from the trek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, we we're well aware of that. And then we we're waiting what's this had uh, happened. Yeah, bang, bang Simon's. Um, yep. And we spoke about it prior. And we thought, yeah, once it's been through, yep, organise it. And yep, July 6th, looking forward to it. Very good. Thank you, Shane. So, Tony, back to you. So do you think the Trek achieved its objectives? Oh, look, I, yeah, I, I, I absolutely think it did, Susan. I think, you know, as far as raising awareness goes in the broader community about mental health impact on emergency workers, I think it certainly did that. And um, But it was interesting, I guess, as I said before, yes, it raised awareness, but it also, um, it also allowed them to raise awareness themselves. The fact that they were able to come out and start talking themselves amongst themselves created even greater awareness in their local area. So it wasn't just us that did that, but the combination of us and the combination of then the community actually being engaged with us, I think, absolutely raised, raised the awareness for us, which was something that I was, as you know, that was one of my primary objectives. Um, as far as the foundation goes... Um, you know, it wasn't surprising, but it was quite intriguing when we went to each of those events and we asked that question in most of them, you know, so how many of you knew anything about the Emergency Services Foundation before this? And the majority of people didn't. And of course, you know, the reason for the foundation to exist in the past was simply to provide financial support to, you know, to families of deceased uh, workers or badly injured workers or to provide scholarships. And unless you were in one of those cohorts, if you like, there was really no reason to know anything about the foundation. But of course, our work now is so broad and it focuses on mental health specifically, 
that um, you know that was another really big objective of ours was to be able to do that, and I think we did create a hell of a, a hell of a better lot under sorry a hell of a greater understanding of uh, of the foundation, and then of course raising the money for the for the programs. You know, at the end of the day, I think that was that was successful. I think, uh, as I understand, I think we're up around the two hundred thousand dollar mark, which is a pretty pretty good thing at the end of the day. I would love it to have been double as we all would, but. The reality is the environment that we're in is such that um, you know everybody's battling and every every organisation like ours is doing it hard. So I think to have got to the two hundred thousand mark was a was a fantastic achievement. We'll obviously be able to do great things with that money. So yeah, I I think we did achieve our objectives. And rest assured, I'm not sitting on my hands. I'm still trying to make <laughs> money, so we'll, we'll we'll get a bit more. Um, what did you what did you learn from doing the trek? I mean, you've told us about some of the things, but what about personally? What did you learn? Um, look, I, I think sometimes you go into these things with, you know, with great, with great, um, with great aspirations, and probably not really truly understanding um, just how big an impact you may or may not have. Um, from a physical perspective, I even the day that I started, I must, I, I honestly didn't know if I'd get to the end of the first week. I trained through last year for this, obviously. But you can't replicate something like this. You can't do tens of days at a time back to back. So I really had no idea as to whether or not I'd be able to do it physically or not. So for me, it was a, it was a great uh, it was a great uh, a great learning to know that I actually do have the, the stamina and the capacity to do that. So that was great. From a mental, Tony, can we tell people now that the day you started, you had gastro, and the first on two days three, horrific. And on day three, you were walking like the hunchback of Notre Dame, and it was just. Fortunate we had an osteo book to see you that night, but uh, yeah. <laughs> and a couple of paramedics to help with some advice and guidance was very helpful too. Um, yeah, I think look, so that was that was one thing. I think the other thing that really surprised me was um, I, I was surprised at the impact on my actual mental <laughs> my mental state. I I uh, as you know, after about a week and a half or so, I got so um, I lost track totally off time and space so I had no idea where I was going or what I was doing from day to day other than being guided and assisted with that and it sounds silly but that's it, it really did happen and, and uh, my wife Carol would tell you now she's still saying that I am still behaving somewhat in that way um, not as bad as it was but it's taking a long time to get myself back on a on, on the, the keel of where I was before so um, so that's you know that was interesting um, the community itself, the broader community, I surprised that they get it. They get it. They get this. So it wasn't, we didn't have to go and educate the community. We didn't have to do anything like that. We just created the opportunity for them to talk to us about what they already know. And I think that was really, that was really an amazing uh, or a really good learning for me was there is a much broader understanding of this issue than, than even I realised out there. The problem is creating an environment in which those people can actually talk about it and do things about it themselves. And I think that's that's something that was a that was a great learning. And the other thing was the resilience of our people. You know, you just can't you cannot underestimate just how resilient people are for all of the things that they go through. And Erica talked about it before, and and as did Shane and Paul about the repetitive nature of the work. Plus, as I said, all of the day to day things that people go through, they are resilient and um, amazingly so. But they need help and a bit of support. That's what it is. It's not about it's not about fixing broken things. It's about helping support things that just get that wobbly as you put it yeah and let's finish up by telling us four funny standout memories I'm going to start with one what about the day we got two broken windscreens on the one day 
Yeah, that was a bit horrible, wasn't it? We had, uh, yeah. yeah, we had, um, we were almost at the end of the day heading to Orbost and, uh, and the rock the size of a tennis ball went through uh, the windscreen and the poor driver almost went through the back door because it was so big and loud. So we got that, we got that done and then AV, Ambulance Victoria were able to help us out, grab that vehicle, took it to Bairnsdale, put a new windscreen in, then 25 kilometres out of Bairnsdale on the way back, bang, it went again. <laughs> um, and, and off we went again trying to get the second second one replaced. So, um, and uh, yeah, so whilst it's funny, but again, there's an, there's an example of community support. That second one, you know, that was done by a fella who was a friend of a friend who knew somebody else who repaired that for us. And then at the end of the day, and he did it on his birthday when he was supposed to be at his birthday function, so he was late for that. And then also at the end of it all said, oh, and by the way, I'm not charging you. That's my donation to this. This is such a huge cause. He didn't even know about us till we turned up with the vehicle and yet, bang, there's what the guy did for us, you know. Um, another one I think that, that was really, that sticks in my mind big time is the Rosedale Primary School. Um, the day that we got to Rosedale just outside of Sale and, um, and we got the call to the vehicle to, could we please pick up the pace a little bit? And I thought I was going pretty well, but they wanted the pace picked up so as we could get to the school before three o'clock when all the little all the little primary school kiddies took off for home because they were all lined up at the fence waiting for us to get there. And when we came around the corner, there were probably 40 or 50 of them up against the fence in their uniforms with their broad brimmed hats on. They were waving signs. They were chanting, Tony, Tony. They were yelling and screaming and everything. And I was walking with one of our ESF board members, Kate, at the time. And I said, I can't stay on this side of the road and just wave to them. I've got to pop over there and do a run through and everything. So we did the big run through, high fiving with them and everything. And we got it on video and they were just fantastic. It was so entertaining and, and just great to see little kids involved in the community as well, not just the adults. And what about all the animals you saw on the road? You told <laughs> us that the smell of road roadkill oh. is disgusting that you don't normally get. But what about, I mean, how many snakes did you see? Uh, I think we cracked a dozen in the end, and we got a good variety. I'd never seen I'd never seen a um, an alpine copperhead before, so or a highland copperhead snake. So that was interesting. Uh, we saw one of those. Saw a few red-bellied blacks, some tigers, some browns. Yeah, we saw quite a few of those and dodged dodged them all successfully but some of them were so close that you know it took you know not each of us actually saw them but um and I see Erica's just put up there how many sets of underwear she's put up in the chat and what she's referring to there is I did ask people as I was walking what is it that males young males in eastern Victoria northeastern Victoria do when they're out and about in their cars because again there were over a dozen pairs of underpants uh, or boxer or boxer shorts in various locations along that route. Um, no female underwear, just men's underwear. And I'm trying to figure out exactly what it is that blokes are doing out there that they have to leave their underwear lying on the side of the road. <laughs> I, I, perhaps we shouldn't ask that, Tony. No, maybe not. <laughs> Very funny. So is there anything else you'd like to say before we finish up? Look, only, only two really quick things. One is I need to publicly apologise to Erica. Now, she talked about the day and the 35 kilometres, or the 34 kilometres. Um, as she and I both know, that was meant to be a 25-kilometre day for her, and I told her that, and she prepped herself psychologically for 25Ks. And then, unfortunately, I had accidentally dropped the pin on my GPS in the wrong place when I was planning the route, and I missed it by nine kilometres. And when we got to the 25-kilometre mark, I thought, we're nowhere near it. And I said, Derek, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The good news is we're going beautifully and the weather's really wonderful and it looks great up here. And the bad news is we've got another nine k's to go. How do you reckon you'll go? Um, she didn't even flinch. She just said, no, I think we're right. We'll keep going. And then she pulled out more chocolate Easter eggs and we ate more eggs and off we went. And she, she cracked the last nine. So good on you, Erica. That was fantastic. Um, and the last thing is to you, Susan, and to your team, um, 
yes, certainly I was the face of this because I'm out there walking, but this was a huge undertaking and it was much, much bigger in the background, particularly in the 12 months lead up and then the actual event itself. What people couldn't see going on behind was quite staggering and the number of people that commented on me on how it was such a well-organised event and such a well-planned event, again, that's not me doing that. I'm just walking on my feet and I'm talking to people. That's all happening in the background. So the amount of effort put in by you and your guys was phenomenal and, and I can't thank you enough. Um, and as I said, plenty of people plenty of people commented on it and I just think it was a fantastically organised event. So, so well done to you all. Thank you. One memory, thank you, Tony. One memory I take out is one night I came back to the camper van and there was a chocolate Easter bunny sitting on my seat somewhere <laughs> back there. That was pretty nice too. So, you know, the whole trek really reinforced my um, faith in humanity, really. We met some amazing people along the way and I feel like I can go to any one of those towns now and just call in and say hello and... Um, you know, I know where all the great bakeries are and I'll be going back again. They're, they're fantastic. So um, does anybody else want to say anything to finish up? No? My most my most terrifying moment was seeing you turn that um, love buggy around on a steep hill and then the front wheel lifted off the ground. I'm just not sure how many times you said to me afterwards, I nearly tipped that over, you know, and that was probably 36, maybe 37 times. You did mention that. And I said... I know, Susan, I was watching. I know. As I was going up to that street in Bright, the captain of the um, the SES said to me, oh, my God, you're taking that up that street. That's brave. <laughs> and I thought, oh, you know, I'll be right. But turning it around and trying to get it into the driveway was pretty tricky. Anyway, we live to tell the story. I just think about what it might have been if it had rolled down the hill with me and LB in it. You've done very well. Thank goodness it didn't. Anyway, sadly, I must bring this conversation to an end, but it makes me think how wonderful it would be in a little while to sit down and catch up with some people and just have a have a drink and a chat about it. I think there'll be lots of lovely stories. Anyway, thank you. Um, we've had such great pet feedback from people we met on the track. track and as, as Tony often said, it was humbling, but it was also inspirational to watch him just plod on every day, knowing what was in his shoes and how sore his toes were. Um, thank you all for sharing your experience of the trek and thank you for listening to this Emergency Services Foundation Better Together podcast, which aims to provide you with insights about mental health and wellbeing from experts, thought leaders and people on the ground. And if you want to know more about what we do or better still support our work, please go to esf.com.au. See you next time.